Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In this episode, you meet Jennifer Montague. Jennifer serves as the Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer for NYSource, a natural gas and electric utility company servicing 4 million customers under the NIPSCO and Columbia Gas brands. She's responsible for setting direction and managing a leadership team focused on customer experiences in the areas of customer care centers, customer insights and marketing, billing and payments, and new business across six states. She joined the company as the Vice President of Communications and External Affairs at NIPSCO in November of 2018. Prior to joining NIPSCO, Jennifer had nearly three decades of customer operations, branding, communications, and marketing experience in several roles with Commonwealth Edison in Chicago and British Petroleum, Amico in London and Warrenville, Illinois. Jennifer currently serves on the board of directors for Girl Scouts of Greater Chicago and Northwest Indiana, Edgewater Health, Merritt School of Music, and Northwest Indiana United Way. Jennifer earned a bachelor's degree in quantitative economics and feminist studies from Stanford University and a master's of business administration degree from the University of Chicago. Jennifer is based at the NYSource headquarters facility in Maryville, Indiana. I have been looking forward to this podcast episode for so long because Jennifer is such a wealth of knowledge, um, is really clear and strategic and intentional about, you know, where she was going professionally, but also displays some flexibility and some transparency around, you know, what it takes to get into a leadership seat in an industry that is not necessarily very diverse. Um, and how she has been able to navigate that. So as always, grab your favorite beverage, your I Choose the Ladder notebook, and get ready to get to work. Jennifer, first, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I've been so excited about this um, for quite some time, so I'm glad that we can make it happen. I'm delighted to talk to you today, watching. So excited too. So we'll talk about your job later, but let's first start with corporate America. You have a very fancy title at a very fancy company, right? And it's easy to look at you and be like, well, you know, she she always knew that this was going to happen. But is that true? Like, how did you learn about corporate America? Um, and what did you think you would be doing at that point? Yeah, so I will tell you, um, I got into corporate America actually because of a summer internship. And I got the summer internship because um, I was a national achievement scholar. So, you know, like that you take the national merit test. So I scored well on that. And um, Amico was my corporate sponsor. They're the ones who gave me money to go to college. And when they had like a little lunch where they presented me with my like, you know, the big check that they give you, the scholarship check, um, my mother, of course, always on the side is like, you have any summer jobs? And the guy kind of like laughed. And then later there was a woman at our church who actually worked in Amico and my mother had mentioned that to her. And so she actually, bless her heart, I will never, Brenda marched into her vice president's office and said, you're interested, you say that you're interested in diversity and inclusion. And I've got this young black girl who's gone to our church and she's going to Stanford and we're giving her money and we ought to see if we can find her summer internship. So literally it was by Brenda having that boldness and the, the man was like, okay, I'll talk to her. I went in and talked to him. This is all in June. I went in and talked to him. He found me a summer internship filing papers in the audit department. And then I had summer internships every single summer. I was one, one summer in like audit and accounting, one summer in engineering, one summer in product development. And that's how I developed into a, an offer after I graduated from Amico. So it really was, um, you know, based off of that and based off of just, you know, again, my mom opening her mouth and then a woman at my church opening her mouth. 
were your parents working in corporate? Like was, they were, were they, they were not careers? Yeah. So my mom was a school teacher. Um, my, my father worked for the federal government. So he um, basically helped people get small business administration loans. Um, but neither of them were in, you know, corporate America per se. So I was, um, I was excited about the opportunity. Um, but yeah, when I was a young person, I don't think I knew what it meant. I just, I just, um, you know, was, was excited about it. So it wasn't necessarily that your mom wanted you to get a corporate job. She was like, my daughter needs a job. She needs to be doing something. That part. <laughs> do you have that? I don't care where the job is, but this child needs a job. That's exactly right. Do you have a job? And is it paying well? That's exactly, that was exactly her, her mind frame. So, yeah. <laughs> and so you mentioned you went to Stanford. Now people listening are probably like, well, yeah, of course she has this great career, blah, blah. She went to Stanford. How did you choose where you went to undergrad? Um, oh my goodness. Again, it was really based on who gave me the most money. I hate to hate to say it that way, but it was really, um, you know, back then I actually applied to eight schools. Um, I got into, you know, almost all of them. Stanford gave me the most money. And I also, well, I, I lie. University of Illinois gave me the most money. They gave me a free ride. But um, my parents were like, okay, if you really want to go to Stanford, I mean, and Stanford, literally, they, they had to pay less for me to go to Stanford than they did to pay for my, you know, my high school. So, yeah. um, so they, so they did really, really well in terms of financial aid. And I also wanted to go to far away. I wanted to go to California. So I was, you know, that's really how I chose it. I also, at that point thought I wanted to be an engineer. They have a terrific engineering program. So those are the things that sort of, you know, fed into it. But honestly, when I, when I, when I look back on it, it was because they gave me a lot of money. And, you know, we talk about student loan debt and all that stuff now, especially with a new generation of folks. And sometimes we discredit that the school that's giving you the most money may be the best decision for your future, like to be able to graduate and not be saddled with hundreds of thousand dollars worth of loan gives you kind of a career freedom that I think we underestimate. I also went to undergrad on a scholarship and because I had no student loans when I graduated, I can make different choices about how I spent my formative career development years that I probably could not have had I had, you know, $150,000 worth of student loans when I graduated. And that's, I, I would say that that's so important because it is, it it actually blows my mind. I would, I would be, you know, having panic attacks all the time if I had $150,000 worth of student loan debt, but I know so many people do. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right. Having, making choices that also um, give you some financial freedom and give you peace Mm -hmm. is is mm-hmm. here. Um, so one of the things that we know now, right, and looking back in hindsight, is that like a network is a pretty crucial part of professional success. And so you're at Stanford, your parents are not corporate folks, right? How do you, what do you think about building a network or how are you thinking about building a network at that point? And if not, how did you get one? Yeah, I'd say it really developed based off of, again, that opportunity for me to have those summer internships and having those summer internships, I developed relationships, some of which turned into mentorships, long-term mentorships, some of which turned into sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So I, um, but I think working over those summers and, um, you know, it wasn't a guarantee that every summer I would get another job in another department. So I actually had to um, hustle a little bit and figure out, okay, well, I'm working in this department. Maybe I'm interested in this department. Let me see if I can go have a get to know you with these people over here to find out, you know, um, if they be, if, if, if what they're doing would be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you like <laughs> a little bit of a story that I had, even as an undergraduate, um, I, again, I think I told you I was with the engineers one summer and I started off thinking that I wanted to be an engineer and I just did not like it. I actually sat with the engineers one summer and I was like, oh, this is not, this is not 
for the kid. This is not what I, what I want to do. And, um, um, and at the same time I was taking all of these and I completed the whole engineering course. So I did my first, my first, my first freshman and sophomore year, I did all engineering, but I was taking all of these women in studies courses. So I think I remember I came home and I talked to my mom and I also talked to my, my sponsor, Mr. Harper, the gentleman at the time who actually gave me my internship opportunity, who ended up becoming a mentor and a sponsor. I talked to him and I said, Mr. Harper, I really just, I hated what the engineers did. I just, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I think maybe I'm just not going to work in corporate. And, you know, I told my mother, I said, I'm just going to stop being an engineer and maybe I'll just, you know, work at a bookstore. And my mother was like, uh, the college drama, like, I'm so glad to see that the dramatics extends across all college students, regardless of where you're going to school. It's like, it's doom and gloom. The minute, the first thing it's like, this is not for me. I'm done. We're over it. Exactly. Exactly. And again, my mother was like, okay, so what are you going to do? And I said, I think I'm going to work at like a feminist bookstore. And she was like, yeah, yeah. We we are not independently wealthy. I did not send you all the way out to California for you to do that. You need to go talk to an advisor, talk to whatever. But again, Mr. Harper, this gets into uh, the deeper question. Mr. Harper said, okay, I get that the engineering department isn't what you want to do, but listen, there are all these in corporate America, there are all these other kinds of jobs. Let's have you go talk to this person and this person and this person. He was like, you could do marketing, you could do logistics, you could do sales, you could do HR. So he actually opened my aperture and gave me, and he, and he, he also was like, okay, let me, let me make some introductions for you. And so having that mentor relation, having those kinds of mentor relationships and being open to listening. And, mm-hmm. and he even talked to me, he was like, are you sure you don't want to do engineering? And I was like, no, Mr. Harper, I really, I just don't want to do engineering. He's like, okay. He said, well, find something, go talk to your advisor, find something that's similar. Cause you know, you've taken all these classes, let's whatever. So I ended up um, getting my degree in quantitative economics and feminist studies. But again, I, but I was able to continue doing the work um, and, and again, I satisfied that mom, like, okay, you need a job girl. And I, so I satisfied that part, but I also satisfied, um, really what I, what I think I wanted to do longer term, but you're exactly right. It's a doom and gloom. It's like, okay, I'm not going to be an engineer. I've also had friends who've been like, I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm not going to be this, but it's, you don't have to do that little small thing. There are, mm-hmm. there are broader things that you can do. So a couple of gems that I hope you guys picked up from that. The first is that internships are not just designed to help you find your like your future career it can also be designed to help you figure out what you don't want to do right and so um my first internship was for a financial for an investment bank um and i took it because we got paid a ton of money i made more during that internship than i did at my first job out of college but i hated it and so i knew going forward like I am not somebody who wants to do finance and and that's okay right i did that without because I could then go back to school. It wasn't like a, a job thing that that um that was going to be detrimental to me. The second thing is, I think that we get caught on ideas and because we've made that decision, we feel like we have to continue to do it, even right. if it makes us miserable. You were like, oh, I thought this was it. This is not it. I'm not going to continue down this path. I'm doing something else. And this is for everybody. So whether you're early career, like you can always change your mind. It gets harder depending on, you know, where you are, but you don't have to stay in a place where you, you know that like, this is not it. This is not it for me. Right. But it also, you also do need to listen to advice and feedback, right? Because if I, if I had not listened to either Mr. Harper or my mother, right. Who, who were saying, okay, well, look, you've already got this base. Let's, let's figure out something you can do that will fit with what you might want to do. Then I, I would have just, you know, been willing to throw it all out. So it's, it's, you, you, you do need to be open. 
So one of the things that we get the most, I get like emails about or the most communication about is about black folks feeling like they don't have mentors and they don't have people that they can go to for that advice. So this is a two-part question. So first, what do you think it was about you that made people open to mentoring you and sponsoring you? And then the second part of that, now as someone who tons of people want to mentor and sponsor, what do you look for in deciding if you're going to take somebody on as a mentee or someone you sponsor? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, okay, well, let me spend a minute talking about sort of the difference. So, because it's a really important to have a mentor, but I think it's more important to have a sponsor. So, and the difference just for your, your viewers, right? A mentor is someone who gives you advice, who um, you talk to, um, you know, and you get that sort of advice and feedback and you can noodle things over with. A sponsor is somebody who speaks up for you on your behalf and advocates you for you when you're not in the room. They offer all these recommendations for stretch assignments and special development programs and promotions. And so I really feel like the most important thing, if you're in a situation for you to figure out, okay, make sure you have the emotional intelligence to figure out, okay, what's the difference between those? And do I have a sponsor or do I just have a mentor? Do I just have somebody who I talk to and I get, they, they give me good advice, but they're actually not doing things to further my career. Hmm. Now, the second part of your question was about what makes me look for people that I want to sponsor. No, so the first part, what was it about you that made people want to mentor and sponsor you back then? Okay, so I think um, being high potential. So, and, you know, high potential basically means you're you're able to, you know, deliver. You can, you can execute at a very, very high level. So excellence really is the bar in terms of what you can, you know, what you're able to deliver. You have great follow-through, you do what you say, you're, you are results oriented and you produce for, you are, you're adding value for the organization you produce for them. Um, I will also say um, being um, approachable and open-minded um, and actually being genuinely interested in the work. Um, and I know that seems like such a basic, but there are some young people or people early in their career who almost feel like, sometimes I feel like they're like, oh, I just wanna get to the next level. I don't, I don't even wanna you know, do the work. And you have to like, don't despise small beginnings. My grandma used to say that all the time, but like you have to be willing to do that work. And so that's why I think some mentors mentors and sponsors were willing to, you know, come to me because I didn't, I was willing to do, I mean, you know, it has to be legal, right? But I was willing to do, if you gave me work, I was willing to do it. I didn't feel like anything was above me or any of that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really that, that um, and, and I was, you know, interested in learning and genuine and all that good stuff and excited, enthusiastic. Um, the second part is what makes me want to sponsor. And so now with someone who has a full life, a family, a husband, children, um, you know, a, a really demanding career, your time is very limited. So if someone hears from you and it's like that, Jennifer is my mentor, like I have to find her, what <laughs> makes someone stand out? Yeah, I think it's a, it's the same kind of thing. Like I want to mentor people and I actually mentor, I mentor, um, you know, black men and women. I mentor, you know, gay, white men and women. I mentor Asian women. Um, I don't think I have any, I don't think I mentor any straight white men. Um, but I've, what I'm trying to say is I mentor sort of across the spectrum. So I have to, so it's, it's not only that I'm looking for um, black women, but I usually probably skew towards people who may have um, disadvantages in some way or not able to, 
you know, get ahead sort of on their own. Um, I also though do look for people who are high potential, right? And in my organization, like people who are delivering, um, again, excellence, you know, that's a price of admission. Um, and you can't, there are some people who have the attitude, okay, well, I, I want you to give me that opportunity and then I'll wait to deliver. No, I wanna, I wanna make opportunities available for you once I, when I see you delivering. Um, I will also say people who um, um, don't automatically, who don't have a fixed mind mindset, um, who are open to learning new things, open to um, feedback, and people who are not just sort of naturally like defensive, want to fight you all the time. Those are the types of people that I mesh well with um, and that I sort of say, you know, hey, I want to, I want to um, mentor. And then it also helps if like, if I like them as people, like if they're, you know, if they're fun, if I think they enjoy life, um, those are the, those are the kinds of people who I'm interested in sort of spending, spending time with. And this is the stuff that I talked to you guys about around, you know, doing great work. That is table stakes. Everybody has to do that. That's right? Right. There are other things that matter sometimes more, right? So if people say that you're trying really hard and there just may be one thing that they can offer you that can get you to the next level, people are usually willing to make that investment. But if someone perceives whether this is real or not, that you are not coachable, nobody has time to be fighting you to get you to where you need to be. Like, right. they're just like I have other battles that I could fight. Like I'm not willing to do this. And so being coachable and the, the level of self-awareness that's required to, to know if you are coachable or not is huge in determining if you end up with a high quality mentor or even more importantly, a sponsor, right? Because again, one of the, the, the things that a sponsor has to, 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 to agree to is they're putting their reputation, their professional reputation on the line for you. And that's they right. can't say that confidently because you have all this other stuff going on. As much as they may like you as a person, it's not going to happen. Right. The other thing I would say, I would add to that because I would co-sign everything you just said, but the other thing I'd add to that is be careful. Sometimes when people go through disappointing situations, they haven't been able to be promoted. They can't, you know, get the job that they want. They get bitter. And I never want to mentor or sponsor bitter people because, and it's really, really, really hard to um, you know, protect your heart and your life and your mind from not getting to the point where you get better. But once you get better, you're not coachable. You're not coachable. You're not willing to put in the extra work because you feel like, okay, well, it's owed to me. And that like, you can't, a mentor and a sponsor can't fix that for you. So you need to go off and go to therapy or go to prayer or, you know, talk to your auntie, but you can't, that is not, um, bitter is, is impossible to fix. And what she's not saying is that your feelings are, are not valid, right? Your feelings are definitely valid. Right. What she is saying, though, is that your feelings can be an asset or it can be a liability, right? In terms of how you move professionally to who you have access to. And you just need to be aware of that. So it's not to say that things that have happened at work were not bad or were not fair and all those things completely happen, especially with Black folks. Like we understand, however, you have to choose. Um, if you are going to stay in corporate or stay in this space, you have to choose the things that help you get closer to where you want to be and not the things that hinder you, even if you might be justified, right? So that's the thing. Right. Like you may be justified to be bitter, but does being bitter and being angry get you closer to or further from where you're trying to go? Absolutely. Um, so here's a question that I love to ask senior level people because I kind of already know the answer. So has there been a time in your career where you've been the first 
or the only, so like the only black woman, the only black person in the space, how have you built connections in those instances? If that has ever happened to you? Mm, um, yes. Um, and there, there've been many times in my career. Um, I will say, I'll say the probably a more recent one. Um, so I was, um, when I was, when I became the vice president at communications and external affairs at NIBSCO, I was the only black woman on the senior executive team reporting up through the, um, reporting up through the CEO of NIBSCO. And I think developing relationships, not only with my peers, but developing community relationships um, really helped make a really big difference for me. Um, and then also seeing that the organization really cared um, that I was the first, but I wasn't the only. There was another, there was another, you know, there was an African-American man um, who um, he left the corporation probably after I'd been there for two weeks, but there was an African-American man who was a vice president as well. So there were, there were those kinds of, um, um, I saw that, but the fact that I felt like the organization cared and that I, I was, I had a boss at that time who not only gave me a voice, but allowed me to bring in other people to contribute to my, to, to, mm. to that voice. So that I was, that I appreciated. Um, so that's a good example. There have been other times in my career where I have been the, um, where I've been the only, you know, African-American woman in a situation. And I felt as if, um, I was put in the situation, but I, they didn't want it. I, I was, I wasn't, they didn't, I, I, they didn't want to hear what I had to say. Um, there were actually, I used to even worked for a boss who actually said, um, yeah, I, we're going to go into this meeting, but I want you to be silent. And that, um, and at that point I was a director um, when that happened once. And that feels a little bit soul crushing, makes you feel like, okay, I don't have anything to contribute. And if you end up in situations like that, you need to figure out, okay, so how do I continue to navigate and find the nuggets of value that I can add, or do I do what I need to do in order to leave that situation? Hmm. The fact the audacity for somebody to say that out loud. So what was the, in that person's mind? Why were you going to the meeting to learn and observe because you were new or to just be a, like, I don't understand, but what was your function in the room? Yeah. I, so at that point, um, I, I um, at that point, I think, I think they, the, in their mind, they thought, okay, well, they're going because she, she's going, I'm, She's going because um, she has to be because she has to be there because someone else instructed me to make her go or uh, so someone else instructed me to allow her to go. But I don't necessarily think that she should be there. So I'm going to ask uh, her to be there and not speak. Um, um, so that was, a, a, again, not a um, not a positive. I was trying to give you like a positive and a negative. Yeah, so that was yeah. that was a negative example. Um, so yeah, but it I, I think but it happens. It happens more. It does happen. I wanted that's why I wanted to give that. So can you share, because one of the things that we get, that I get from folks is like, just culturally, folks do not know how to connect with the people with different life experiences, right? So a Black person who's the only Black person in the room may not necessarily know how to connect with their colleagues. So maybe you can share some a couple of tangible ways in which you've built relationships when you have been the only one. Like, do you invite people out to coffee? Do you help people on projects like what are some ways that you connected with folks yeah so i i would say 
one thing that I have, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to answer this way and then I'm going to answer your question. So I would say one of the things that um, African Americans and women actually also struggle with this as well is that we, um, you know, we sort of feel like, okay, we should go, we should go to work, we should do our work, we should kill it, and then we should just be able to, you know, go home. And um, we don't sometimes spend the extra time needed to develop those relationships. So we won't go out for drinks. We won't go out, you know, and have lunch with people and socialize. And we've also sort of been taught, you know, keep your home business at home. Don't share with people about what's you're, you're going on. Or we've been taught, you know, never let people see your see you sweat. But the pro and that and I can understand that. But the problem with some of that is if you're unwilling to share any of your vulnerabilities or you're unwilling to share any portion of your personal life, you end up, um, you know, putting up a wall that's sometimes seen as aloof. Um, and you, it's hard to develop good relationships um, and develop allies if people feel like you're superwoman, right? Mm -hmm. They feel like you're expert at everything and you're aloof all the time. And so people need to be able to see the real you. Now, what have I done? Um, so I, yeah, I, you know, I've sort of grown up in that atmosphere. You don't tell all of your business, but I do sort of think to myself strategically, okay, what can I share that lets this person feel comfortable with me? Can I find a connection that I have with this person? They grew up with their grandmother living, you know, around the corner from them. And my, I grew up with my grandmother in my house. So can we have a conversation about that? Or, um, my dad used to fish like every summer all the time. And I know that they have a father who, who likes to fish. Can we connect on that level? So I would try to find human connections that weren't based in race to mm -hmm. see if I could have, um, to find like a joint conversation with them. And that for me usually did work. I usually have been able to, no matter how different people were than me, I've usually been able to find something that I could have a conversation with them about something that I could connect on. It might be we like reading or um, we like listening to, you know, different kinds of music or we like, you know, this kind of pop music, but it's, it's just finding that one connection that you feel like you can have a conversation with them with. And then they feel like, oh, okay. I, Jennifer is like me because she, you know, also likes, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, she also likes hollow notes or, <laughs> You know what I mean? So, so finding those things. And I think that those are the types of things that I think help us as um, black people and as women, black women really develop relationships, lasting relationships. Um, and that why is that, why is that beneficial professionally? Right. Cause I think people, uh, people don't put the two and two together, right? People are like, okay, yeah, relationships are important and my career is important, but how has being able to form relationships, lasting relationships with people benefited you professionally? So, so many ways, but I can give one key example. So suppose the worst happens and you end up losing your job, right? And if you've developed a relationship with that consultant, for example, who has seen you work on a project and you've had deep conversations about your fishing trips as a child and they feel connected to you, you can call them up on the phone and be like, Alex, oh man, I was just laid off. Or I, you know, things aren't going well at my job and I need to find another job. And he can say to himself, oh, Jennifer, actually, I think you'd be really great here. And that, that has happened to me. I've had that multiple times in my career where not necessarily I was laid off, but when I was in a situation where I felt like I needed a switch, I needed a change. And because I had developed those relationships, those people are willing to help you. They're willing to think about you. They're willing to become your advocate. And just as you were saying earlier around, um, if people are referring you, they're putting their political capital on the line for you, but people aren't going to put their political capital on the line for you if they don't feel like they know you. 
mm-hmm. if they don't feel like, okay, she's the kind of person that I'm, I don't mean kind of person like looks like me. I mean, you know, likes, you know, likes hollow notes. She likes to go fishing. She like, do you know what I mean? So like if they feel some sort of connection, they feel like that's my kind of person. Those are the people that you want to end up helping. So building those relationships. So that's when you're, when you need a job. I will also say, even when you have a job, having allies, I'll give an example. I, um, if you're fighting for capital in an organization when capital is scarce, I want to invest in an IVR interactive voice response unit. I want to invest in IVR um, improvement for my organization, which is going to include voice biometrics and predictive analytics and all those things. And that's going to cost money. I'm going to be fighting, um, you know, for capital against people in the operating union who need capital, who usually win, right? Because they're the utilities. But if I develop those relationships with the, if I develop those relationships in IT, if I've developed those relationships with the CFO, if I've developed those relationships with somebody in another operating department who might have some extra capital and I can say, hey, Ron, I know you're not gonna do this thing this year. Can I, can I get some of your capital? Oh yeah, sure, Jennifer, I can give you that. But that only works because I've developed those relationships and that per, Ron is my ally, so he's willing to, you know, give me some of his extra capital. So those, that's why that's important. You, you've got to have that in order to function really at work every day. Now, would Ron give it to me if he didn't know me and like me? He could have it. He could just, go ahead. You wouldn't even know that he had the capital if he exactly. Didn't know. You wouldn't even know it was an opportunity for you because you don't know anything about him because you've never talked to him. That's exactly that. That there you go. That part. So. And- so here's what I also want people to know and know deep in their soul. After a certain title, most of your jobs are going to come from relationships. Most of these senior level jobs are not posted on job boards for the whole, like it is somebody who knows you, knows your work, knows your skill sets, knows your expertise, and knows that you can come in and deliver for whatever problem that they have. Those are phone calls that are being made. If nobody knows you well enough to say, yes, I, absolutely can vouch that Jennifer can do this and can come in and hit the ground running. You're not going to, your your name's not in the hat. And so relationships are not just for right now. It's that after you get to like a director level, most of the jobs after that, because there are fewer, right? There are fewer VP spots than coordinator spots. There are fewer SVP spots than VP spots. That's right. Those things come from relationships, not from how great you are at your job, because at that level, most people are already great at their job. That's the cost of entry. So if you are thinking long-term in corporate, relationships are the best investment and have the highest return outside of everything else. Well, and I, so there is nothing more true than that. And I hate the expression, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, but it at, at that level, you're absolutely right. It is everyone expects you to know a certain level. You've gotten to a certain level based on your knowledge and that's lovely and fabulous. After that, it's based on how well can you, you know, collaborate with people and exactly right. Who you've developed relationships with, who, when something, you know, goes down and either, you know, your organization, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't have a role for you anymore, or you're in a situation where you feel like you want to develop, those people are going to vouch for you. Those mm-hmm. people are going to think about opportunities proactively for you. It's mm-hmm. really, it's really as simple as that. 
So one of the things we've talked about is like people maybe leaving their, losing their jobs or leaving their jobs. How have you known when it's time to move on from like where you currently are? Because I know black folks stay stuck because we get comfortable and we just stay and we stay and we know that we shouldn't. So for you, like, what are some signals that like, hey, maybe it's time for me to be looking for a new opportunity? Yeah. So I, this, this is near to dear to my heart. So I was at, um, so I was at BP Amico for 19 years, which was a wonderful, um, wonderful learning um, um, opportunity. And I learned about the oil and gas industry. And then I transitioned to utilities and I was at ComEd for eight years. And when I was at ComEd, I actually came in, I joined ComEd as a director and I was told at, by the by the CEO, oh, work for two years and we'll make you a VP. And that did not happen. I was director and then I moved to another director role and then I moved to another director role. And I um, kept feeling a little bit stuck like okay my goodness i'm not you know i'm not progressing i've i'm delivering all the things that i'm supposed to deliver i'm speaking at the conferences i have won these awards i've you know saved this amount of money i've implemented this system i've done this thing why am i not moving and i will tell you my wake-up call was i actually went to speak at a conference and another african-american woman pulled me aside and she said she said um i here, here she said here's my card i need you to call me tomorrow I was like, tomorrow? She said, call me tomorrow. And she basically said, she said, it is time for you to move. Mm. She, said, she said, don't let your organization tell you that you're ready for a promotion. I'm telling you now that you're ready for a promotion. You are ready to be a vice president. You're operating at a vice president level. She mm. said, and you know in your heart that you're ready for that. She says, so you need to be the one to make the move. And she says, and start doing the work to get out there. And it was like a light went off for me. Like literally it wasn't, I mean, again, this woman who I, and I did not know her well at all. Literally we had gone to this conference. She saw me speak. We, you know, we had a couple of interactions over lunch, but she basically had to sort of tap me and say, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And then she basically called me and said, Hey, here's some headhunters start here, mm -hmm. but keep, but, but, you know, go to your, I know you've got a network operating your network. And so that's really what sort of pushed me, but um, but the fact that I had those networks and, and it wasn't just, um, it wasn't just her. I had a couple of other people. I actually had a consultant, um, who I was working with on a project. He was like, you know, I think you might be a really good fit over here. Um, so it was other people sort of seeing, okay, I can, I can tell you're not super happy. Um, but also I can tell that you have a lot to deliver and offer. And I hadn't gotten bitter at that point. I just was disappointed. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I don't know if that answers your question, but having other people sort of, um, tell me and then having the light go off for myself and then saying, okay, yes, now I am, I am ready to start the work. And I started having really in, in, um, intense. I started to have conversations. Let me have get to know you conversations with people in different industries, with people who I'd already had relationships with saying, actually, I am, in, I am interested in a change. I am interested in looking. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? Asking for advice, um, not asking for a job. And that actually, I think is the best way to find a job. You don't go in saying, Hey, can you give me a job? You go in and say, this is what I'm interested in doing. Here's where I'm passionate. Here's where I have skills and strengths. Um, you know, where do you think there could be some connection for me, either in your organization or in other organizations? So you're going in and you're asking for advice. You're not just asking that person, help me find a job. Yeah. Um, and that this is the same with money too, on the business side. But do you think if she had not had that, if you had not had that phone call, you would have stayed? 
I probably would have left eventually. And I, but it, it did take, I believe, and I want to get spiritual, but I actually believe um, for me, God always has to send people to talk to me, to be like, to, to tell me the thing that I, that I've been wanting and feeling in my heart anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like God used this woman to be like, Hey, <laughs> you've been feeling like it's time to go anyway. Let me manifest, let me make you know that. And yeah. so it might've been a while, but I do think I would have gotten it eventually. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And sometimes it's like, Lord, you're not speaking to me. And God's like, I gave you the intuition, but I'll give you a person. Don't worry. You're not, you're not hearing it this way. Let me find another way that I know you can connect with and actually hear um, my messaging. So absolutely. Um, so then you eventually obviously got into leadership. Um, and sometimes when I talk to non-Black people about what they, what their colleagues who are Black may be going through, it's kind of like a glazed look comes over them. So are there things that you deal with being a black woman in senior leadership that might surprise your non-black colleagues or that you feel like your black your non-black colleagues don't have to necessarily navigate um yes and i i feel like these sometimes can be small things or medium things or big things so small things are like you know there's another black woman in senior leadership and um we always get confused for each other right like now we don't look anything alike she's um much shorter than i am she's much thinner than i am but you know <laughs> that 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 kind of small thing medium things around you know i sometimes have to i'm very um direct and passionate and so i sometimes have to temper how i say things so people don't feel as if the way that i'm saying them is um you know perceived as like you know aggressive or intense or scary um so those are medium things that I don't think that, you know, non-women of color have to, you know, deal with. And then, you know, big things is, is this idea of um, when you're looking for promotional opportunities, you know, people are like, well, yes, but she needs, um, yes, she'd be ready, but she needs more operations. And then you go and you do the operations and they're like, okay, yeah, but I meant field operations, not customer operations. Or, mm -hmm. oh, but she needs, um, she needs, you know, regulatory and legislative experience. And then you're like, okay. And then you go and present in front of the commission four times and prepare, you know, rate cases. And then they're like, oh yeah, no, but I mean this. So the moving of the bar, that's sort of what I feel like is the hardest, highest thing that I haven't seen as many, um, non-black colleagues have to deal with on a regular basis. I have seen all of the black colleagues I know go through that sort of moving the bar. So it's like, it goes from like little things to kind of bigger things. And so more junior people like notice this and they're aware, like black folks and they're aware of this. And I think younger generations are starting to be like, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. So how have you over the, this such a long career, not let those things make you bitter or make you quit? In terms of what, how I made it so that it didn't make me bitter, I basically had to get to the point where I realized, especially, okay, so um, my, 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 my grandmother had this expression um, as a child that I used to love, which is, you know, baby, keep your eyes on your own prize. Mm -hmm. And so I had to really realize that what my prize was, the thing that I was trying to focus on, um, was what was most important. And if I was working in an organization where they kept on, where they kept changing the goalpost, where they kept saying, okay, well, you've got to do operations. And then I did operations and they were like, no, 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 we meant field operations. And, the, or if I, if they said, you know, we want regulatory, no, 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 we meant 
Um, you know, and I, I, I presented at rate cases and I presented four times in front of commission and they were like, no, 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 we, we met, we wanted you to actually write the rate case. So it is those things I had to realize, okay, maybe they're being disingenuous and they don't actually have any intention on promoting me. And that's when I realized along with the other woman who sort of um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're operating at the vice president level. It's time for you to move. So it was it was all of those things together. But I I had to sort of constantly focus for myself on what it is that I wanted and realizing that sometimes when I wasn't getting it, it didn't mean that that it 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 wasn't a reflection on me and that in order for me to get what I wanted, my own prize, I would have to leave. And not feel bad about it. Just realize that that's that that's what it that it it, it was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that level of you know bitter. I mean, work isn't. It sometimes feels like a love relationship, but it's not a love relationship, right? It's not like it's not it's not like you can get bitter if you feel like you know your spouse cheats on you or something like that. It's literally it is an exchange of really good work for you know for for money, right? So you can go do that work somewhere else. And that's why there's no need to get bitter about it. It's not a, it's not a love relationship. (laughs) It's a, it's a, um, I mean, you are delivering what you may feel connected to your job. You may love the people, but it doesn't, it, you know, getting bitter about it doesn't, doesn't help. And it doesn't, and it, and it, it takes away from that, keeping your eyes on your own price. And this is what you guys hear me say all the time. Corporate America is going to take what it needs from you. So you have to be sure that you're getting what you need, like getting as much as you're giving, given. And also work is an exchanging of resources. You are exchanging your talent for compensation. You can choose to take your resources anywhere at any time in the same way that they can choose to take away their resources at anywhere, anytime. And that's not to say, don't be committed to your, to your companies. Don't be committed to your work. It is to say, put it in its proper place. That's right. right. You have to put work in its proper place in your life or else you do get bitter because you've given your all to something that you should not have been giving your all to. You should have been giving your best to. That's oh, I love that. You shouldn't give your all. You should give your give best. Your best. And your best changes depending on the season that you're in. You don't give your all because then you have nothing left for you. Right. That's and right. So then when it when things do change, it becomes very personal because you've given it everything. Well, that's not the proper place for work in your life. Right? right. And so you just have to be very aware of that. Okay, so let's go to the lightning round questions. And for these, do not overthink it. It's literally the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, I'll do that. So what's one piece of career advice that you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? Mm, um, earlier in my career, negotiate for, um, you know, n- negotiate for salary increases when you're, you know, when you're offered a, a new position. Mm. I, wish, I wish somebody would have told me that early in my career. What's the career lesson that has taken you the longest to learn, but has had the most significant impact on your career? Um, the small stuff matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, showing up and being on times to meetings, completing all your safety training on time, um, turning in all of those, you know, turning in all of those accounting deadlines by the time that they're due. All of those things may seem like, okay, that's not big and important, but that small stuff matters. That's the, that's the baseline for the foundation that allows you to get, um, that big project. And it, it probably, I probably didn't learn that until I was in my, um, early forties. Hmm. What is one book that you could read over and over again? Hmm. The Alchemist by Paul, by Paul Coelho. If Forbes was doing a cover story in your career, what would the headline be? 
Um, I don't know, late bloomer, maybe. Um, <laughs> don't laugh at me, but I do feel like um, I do feel like I've been a late bloomer, but I feel like um, my career really has taken off probably in my late 40s, early 50s. It just, you know, has skyrocketed. And so I I sort of had a, you know, a, a slow simmer, but it's really it's really been um, it's really been terrific. And um, yeah, so I'd say late bloomer. We'll do a, a B to that. So what would you say to people who are feeling like they're behind or they are a late bloomer and want to give up? I would say um, don't give up, particularly if you know that you have skills, that you are consistently rated as a high performer, you're consistently rated well, um, and um, you know, develop yourself, but don't focus on your weaknesses. There's this really terrific book that I've read called Strength Finders, which really focuses on focusing on your strengths and just lean into those things that you are really great at. And the things that you, you know, sort of struggle on, yeah, from time to time do work on, like I said, you know, the small stuff, sweating the small stuff, you know, fix, fix some of that, right? Don't, don't send out memos with typos and all that sort of stuff. You do need to fix some of those small things that let that help that help boost your credibility. Um, but I would say, I would say really spend time focusing on your strengths and don't, don't from a, from a late bloomer standpoint, don't worry about it. It gets back to the, my grandma's advice. Keep your eyes on your own prize. It doesn't matter if somebody else has made the, you know, 40 under 40 list or the 30 under 30 <laughs> list, right? If you are, if you said to yourself, okay, I want to make VP by the time I'm 50, even though that seems late, keep focusing on that. Hmm. So don't give up and surround yourself with um, good people and allies who will help you and assist you and speak life into what it is that you want to do as opposed to being negative. One of the hardest things to do is to trust the timing of your life, but you got to trust that what is meant for you will not pass you by. That's trust right. The timing of your life. And then the last question is, we all know that decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? Oh, I hope that my sponsors, because that's what sponsors are speaking about you when you're not in the room. I hope that they're saying that, you know, um, Jennifer is, you know, delivering at the highest level, um, that she really, that she's strategic, that she understands where the organization is going. Um, and in terms of our mission is following our mission and that she's the person that we need to give this, you know, this really, really, um, critical project that we have for the organization or this, where we need to move the organization. She's the person who we can count on to do it because she's the only one who has those skills and those skill sets. She can build a team. Um, she can, you know, develop, we, she can, she can, um, develop us in the way that we need to be developed. And we need to give her the resources and the timing and the platform to be able to do that. That's what I'm hoping they're, they're saying about me in the room. Love that. And with that, thank you so much, Jennifer. When I tell you that I have so many notes from this podcast episode, I kid you not. 
but you all know that I only do my top three. And so here are my top three gems from the episode with Jennifer. So first, closed mouths don't get fed, right? It's up to you to verbalize the things that you need, the things that you want. And that requires a level of clarity and work on your part so that you can verbalize it. Someone actually asked me today what I wanted when it came to I choose a ladder. And I was not very clear on how to answer the question. And so that let me know that I had some work to be done before our next meeting. The second thing is don't despise small beginnings. I feel like in our current world with technology and all those things, we are always in a rush. And so we are not building on solid foundations because we're trying to cut corners to get to that final thing, that end result, that destination. And so we sometimes turn our nose up on doing the small things that then make the big things possible. And so do not despise small beginnings. And the last one, this is my favorite, keep your eyes on your own prize. We are not all running the same race. We don't all want the same things. We don't all have the same starting points. We don't all have the same destiny. We don't have we don't all have the same desires. And so focusing on other people can be a distraction that knocks you off course. And so even if you feel like you're going slower than other people, you have no idea where they're the end of their race is. And so keep your eyes on your own prize. Love that. Um, but you all know that I love to keep the conversation going. And so if you want to connect with me, you can do that on Instagram at I see you watching or on LinkedIn at watching Yanu. And if you want to connect with a company, you can do that on Instagram at I choose a ladder and also on LinkedIn at I choose a ladder until next time. Thank you for listening.